Welcome to the Habit Podcast, conversations with writers about writing. I'm Jonathan Rogers, your host. Seth Haynes is the author of Coming Clean and, most recently, The Book of Waking Up. Here's what Mike Cosper has to say about The Book of Waking Up. Haynes does two things in this book. He awakens us to our addictions and reveals himself as a thoughtful, incisive, and skilled writer. This book invites us to dive deep into the condition of our hearts and offers guidance, hope, and direction for a better way. I deeply appreciate Seth's honesty. I think you will, too. Seth Haynes, thank you so much for being on the Habit Podcast. Man, thanks for having me. It's so much fun to be here. Yeah. Um, in your uh, book, the the Book of Waking Up, your, your latest book, um, you, you talk about how you used to start every day in the key of joy because your mother would, mm-hmm. would wake you up and sing a little song to you. Um, and uh, I, I want to start there, the idea of waking yeah. up in the key of joy, uh, in the key of joy. Yeah. Um, what does that mean? Well, first of all, what was, what was the song your, mo- your mother sang? Well, it's funny. She, uh, <laughs> she sang several songs, but the one that I remember the most was this little song that went, good morning to you, good morning to you. We're all in our places with sunshiny faces. This is the way we start a new day. And I will not sing that for you because, I don't know, <laughs> it just be kind of weird. Um, but yeah, so my mom is always has been a singer, is a singer still to this day, um, has just always had a tune going on around the house. Um, and and that, that is just the way I remember waking us up and it was never annoying to me it was very annoying to my sister uh, she'll she'll tell you but to me it was never annoying it was just kind of the way as a kid uh my day started and it was always sort of a happy a happy opening to the day um and as i write in the book you know i've, I've always my whole life i've been really prone um to some dark dreams uh terrifying dreams maybe mm. Um, and so it was just generally a stark juxtaposition to kind of uh, the nighttime, um, you know, the nighttime terror and fear that I would have and into this sort of waking into this beautiful, uh, joyful moment. Uh, I love that. What does, do these ideas have to do with the, the work of, of the writer, this idea of, of waking up in the key of joy? Yeah, you know, um, with the work of a writer, that's a that's a phenomenal question. I actually think, uh, probably subconsciously, I've, I I wrote about that um, primarily because I, I do sense, um, as a culture, that we are in a very dark season. That we're in a time that doesn't have a lot of joy. Uh-huh. I feel like uh, society exists in a place right now um, where sort of the fear, the dread, the chaos is almost uh, celebrated, if that makes any sense. And, and, and as a result of that, the human condition is, in, in my estimation, a, a very a downward spiral, um, and, and perhaps this kind of spiral that leads you into uh, needing to numb the chaos, needing to numb the pain, needing to numb um, the anxieties of life that are just attendant with our reality right now. I think subconsciously, um, I probably wrote the passage about the key of joy because I'm acutely aware 
that we all need to wake up into something that feels like joy, especially in this particular chaotic, anxious moment. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think as a writer, I'm sensing a need. Um, I think artists around me are sensing a need. Um, we, we may not be conscious to that need, but I think right now for me as a writer, the idea of pressing into uh, simple things like joy and increasingly like silence, um, mm -hmm. increasingly like love and beauty and truth and goodness, I think those are things that are uh, critical right now in yeah. this milieu. Yeah. So you you mentioned um, the urge to numb. Um, you you have struggled with addiction in your life, yeah. Um, and your first book, Coming Clean, was about getting sober. Um, yeah. And this this second book is about uh, coming more awake to your life. Um, can you talk about the difference between the, the distinction you draw between sobriety and being awake? Yeah, you know, um, I found for me particularly, so my story was one of alcohol abuse for a season or a disordered relationship with alcohol is probably a better way to put it. Mm -hmm. I found myself really struggling with terms of addiction. Okay. The term addiction when I was, you know, first quitting the bottle and not because I wasn't in the most colloquial sense addicted I was, but because, you know, when we talk about addiction, um, we tend to imagine sort of skid row, uh, you know, deadbeat with a, a brown bag uh, mm -hmm. bottle or, you know, uh, uh, I once remember being approached by a crack addict on the streets of Memphis asking me if I would like to buy a rock from him. You know, you, mm -hmm. these are the things you think of when you think of addiction. Um, and I wasn't really in that boat. I was pretty high functioning, you know. Mm -hmm. um, I was pretty, you know, celebrated in my career. People kind of thought of me a certain way. Um, and so I didn't even really feel like an addict, even though I was. And then on the, on the back end of that, when I sort of stopped drinking and came clean, what I found is that I didn't feel super sober either. Hmm. Right. So I, I quit drinking, but I still have this anxious, anxious pull to numb. I still have this like deep desire, uh, to, to drink all the bottles of gin and all the bottles of whiskey. I still had all the desires to, you know, overeat at times or, um, you know, whatever the, the, the draw would be to like numb the pain. Um, and so over the course of probably the two ish, two to three years after I stopped drinking, um, what I, I found is that I didn't feel actually sober. Um, and so I, I sort of started looking for new language for that. And I found that language, uh, in this, uh, Theodore Rothke poem uh, that I love, um, and the, the poem starts, I wake to sleep and take my waking slow. Yeah. And it's this idea that we sort of wake into the realities of the world, and we learn, in his words, we learn by going where we have to go. Yeah. Um, and so and so the waking, this waking idea, just it seemed more true to me than being sober. It's not like I flipped a switch and one day I was sober. Uh -huh. It was more like I turned a corner and then I started to wake and wake and wake and wake. Uh -huh. um, and so in this book, I'm trying to do the work of saying, like, the idea here is not to drink or not to drink. It's are you willing to, to really walk into the slow process of waking? Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I, I assume we're talking here about um, choosing to 
uh, take the 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 pain of being awake to your life as as in the knowledge that's the only way you can get to the joy of being awake to your life. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think you know. Um, again, <laughs> we're we're so quick as humans in the human experience to sort of. Um, either be all in one way or another. It's what I've recently been calling zeros and tens, like we're either <laughs> zero or 10, you know, there's no yeah. fives anymore. Yeah. Uh, you know, everything is the worst ever uh, <laughs> or it's, it's the best ever, you know? Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, for me and my experience, like the pains of life are terrible. Like let's, you know, pain, you don't, nobody wants to hurt. I don't want to hurt. Yeah. But it's the pains of life that have kind of uh, taught me and brought me, uh, to my biggest choice, you know, it's yeah. it's the pain of of having a sick son in my case that then almost passed and then mm-hmm. was saved. That's brought me to my greatest joy, which is seeing him every morning. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the yeah. pain of a season where I was really disconnected in my marriage because I was over drinking. Um, it's brought me to the joy of now being very connected with Amber and, and mm-hmm. um, being all in on loving her the best way I know how to do it. Um, you know, the, the, the lessons of pain always bring us to our greatest joy. I think those two things are, are it's critically important to understand that life is not zeros and tens. It's not all pain and all joy. It's, yeah. it's this really messy dance between the two. Yeah. Yeah. The, you know, there's, there are so many ways to avoid pain, but they pretty much all lead to shame. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. so you often tell people every day you have, you have this choice between pain and shame. So choose pain. Yeah, 100%. Um, yeah. Um, you, um, so your first book, the, I mean, or, or the, the book, um, the previous book, um, uh, Coming Clean, you, you wrote that kind of as an exercise of your first, what, 90 days after you stopped drinking? Is that? Yeah. 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 So um, to give you a little backstory on that, I had written a novel that I still have done nothing with, and I was sort of speaking with an agent and it's a novel that I wrote drunk and then edited, um, go quasi sober, I guess uh-huh. probably uh, the best way to put it. It's a book that I still love. Um, one day maybe I'll do something with it, but, um, I, I remember it had been a really productive season as a writer. I was writing from some really dark places in pain, but you know, like I said, my son was very sick at that time and we were, it was kind of touching go. We weren't uh, sure what we were going to do or how he was going to fare. And um, I remember I was in this uh, beautiful Methodist church in Austin, Texas, and it was one of those mornings where I was hungover. I had stayed up way too late drinking. I was at a conference, and I was talking to a photographer from uh, Nashville, and I remember the doors open, and it was one of those moments where, like, a thousand shards of light, you know, kind of come through because I'm, I'm so hungover. Every little bit of light is hurting my head and, yeah. you know, piercing. And, and on the other side, it walks this sort of silhouette, this ghosted silhouette. And as the doors close and her face kind of comes into focus, it's actually someone I knew and her name was Heather Keen. And uh, I didn't expect to see her. I thought she was living uh, in, in Minneapolis and here we were in Austin, and she yeah. walks in the door. Her past story had been this story of alcohol abuse and her own coming clean. And the minute I saw her, I walked up to her, and instead of saying hello, I said, how did you know you had a drinking problem? <laughs> um, you know, 
the words you always wish you could take back, right? Yeah, right. And she looked at me and she said, you know, don't you? And the rest of the course of that day, over the course of that day, she just very gently and tenderly and almost this like motherly way, maybe grandmotherly way, um, she reminded me actually of my own grandmother, uh, walked me through the process of understanding what a drinking problem looks like and that I have one. Hmm. And I remember the last thing I said to her was, I'm just afraid that if I quit drinking, I'll never write another word. And, um, I guess that really stuck with her and, and I went back home and, and entered into therapy. And, um, as I was talking to a therapist and saying, like, I have this, this drinking problem where I need help. And I was very disorganized in my communication of the pain around it. And he said, you know, you're a writer. I need you to go home and like start journaling this stuff out so that, you know, when you come here, we have something we can actually walk through that's organized. Uh-huh. And I remember around that same time, maybe the same day, I talked to Heather and she just said, you know, it's really stuck with me what you said about never writing again. And what I would encourage you to do is go to the page and begin to journal the process of coming clean in the most creative and detailed way you can. I think what you're going to find is that the muse sings so much louder in your sobriety than you anticipated. And I think you're going to find new ways of seeing the world as you write out and journal out your sobriety. So go be creative and do this, this work. So that's what I did for 90 days. I, at the the behest of my therapist and Heather, I I wrote as journaled as, as creatively as I knew how, um, this process and, um, the agent that I was talking to later about the novel, um, said, you know, I'd really like to start with some nonfiction. Can I see what you've been journaling? And, and, uh, you know, the rest is history. Yeah, man, God bless Heather. Yeah, she's incredible. <laughs> she's incredible. I I, uh, I took the tour of um, Ernest Hemingway's house in Key West, and oh the, the tour guide just thought it was so funny that he was drunk all the time. And all, yeah. I, and all I could think was, just think what he could have done if he hadn't been drunk all the time. Yeah, man. And yeah. uh, but the 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 fact that he spent all his sort of dramatic energy on these kind of this these shenanigans instead of pouring it into his his work, I just wonder how many people have have been uh, messed up by those those yeah. hilarious stories of Ernest Hemingway and his and yeah. his drinking and you know yeah and it's and it's a lie it's a lie that somehow the drinking fuels the creativity I mean I I, I don't. I do, you know, obviously there is something to lowering inhibitions. Like I'm not going to pretend that that's not a thing, you know, but this idea of writing drunk, I mean, how many great writers do we revere today who, um, you know, were, maybe they had a drink, some brandy or a glass of whiskey, but they weren't drunk while they were writing. I mean, you know this from their lives, like the Chestertons, you know, GK Chesterton is a master on the page. And I can't imagine that he was, you know, took the advice of, right drunk and edit sober you know i I can't imagine that beekner um was a drunk while he was writing some of his best work um i just i just feel like that's such cheap and easy advice and people just like you know allow people to get away with it because you know hey we're all creative so we're going to be addicted to something yeah right um so i wonder if your idea of waking to joy um is is the um is the harder but truer path to the kind of of inspiration that that people seek in drink and and other you know substances? 
Yeah, I mean, maybe, maybe I, you know, I, I don't. I, to me, I think what um, what I think of most acutely is that what we're seeking in um, in the bottle, or you know, hey, let's put the bottle aside in uh, shopping, in yeah. porn use, in uh, overeating, under eating, you know, image management. Mm-hmm. I think the thing that we're seeking in all of those expressions is this um, sort of dumbing down or, or numbing down of the pain of life, which I think is acutely different than maybe the remedy being joy, if that makes sense. I think, I think it's only when we sort of say we're not going to numb the pain anymore, we're actually uh-huh. going to feel it, we're actually going to deal with it, get to the root of it, that we actually... Uh, cultivate uh, the soil we get we prepare the soil of our lives for true joy hmm. yeah. you know only when we know our darkest side and deal with our darkest secrets and sort of as you kind of intimated get over the shame can we uh, prepare the conditions for joy um okay in in the i guess it's the i can't remember the early early in the in the new book um the book of waking up uh it preface her first chapter you talk about uh if you had a bookstore <laughs> you would have a i, I love this that, that that you would so the well i guess i got to back up cuz you talk about coping mechanisms yeah um and as distinct from being awake to your own life and uh you know dr- drinking is one kind of coping mechanism but you just named several others shopping and you know uh, all those other things. Um, so if, if you had a bookstore, you said there wouldn't be a um, – you would take the self-help section and you would sort of do away with it because you would have a, a waking up section. And some of the books yeah. from self-help may may make it into your waking up section. Yeah. Um, your recovery books would probably make it into the waking up section. At, yeah. but But most of our self-help books are just – they're not about waking up. They're about getting better yeah. at our coping. Yeah, I thought there was right. a lot of wisdom in that. So, uh, if, if, unless unless I just spoiled it, why don't you uh, talk us through that a little bit? Yeah, I, my, what I found in my own journey is that some of those self help books weren't particularly helpful because they only really lead you into a certain type of sobriety, a to do or not to do sobriety. Mm-hmm. And here's what I mean by that: like you can read any number of books on alcohol or alcoholism, and they'll give you coping mechanisms, ways to, to deal with the cravings of alcohol. And these are not bad things, right? Yeah. Like meditation is not a bad thing when you're having an anxious fit and you really want to drink. Um, so, so some of these coping mechanisms are really good, but I didn't find them particularly helpful um, because what if you can't meditate because your mind is so busy? Or what if you uh-huh. can't pray because you've lost faith in God? Or you know, what if, um, you know, you're supposed to, to make amends, but the person you need to make amends with is dead? You know, I mean, uh-huh. there are some very real limiters to a lot of this self-help stuff. Yeah. What I did find really, really helpful were the books of stories. Mm. Um, and, and I'll highlight one. There are several. Maybe I'll highlight two. In the, the Gavra Mate's amazing uh, book, In the Realm of Hungry Ghosts, which does have some sort of practical takeaways, but it is a book of stories of heroin addicts. Hmm. Um, and it's, it's about how they dealt with underlying trauma and 
um, or didn't, but if they did deal with underlying trauma, they were able to walk into this new way of waking up to the world around them. And it was more of a, a story that spurred the imagination, like this is what's possible. My favorite book, though, uh, maybe one of my favorite books of all time, but my favorite book in this section would be Mary Carr's Lit. And uh, Lit is this beautiful exploration of, of the poet, Mary Carr, who uh, kind of was this, this backwater Texas uh, poet um, who sort of stumbled into an accidental, you know, try-hard career of being a poet in New York and um, was a, a voracious drinker and um, found herself, she was an atheist, she was a drinker, found herself at the sort of the bottom of the, uh, the rock bottom of the barrel, so, or the rock bottom, bottom of the barrel, so to speak. <laughs> And all of a sudden, um, she experiences uh, sort of this waking that comes um, out of alcoholism and into the divine light. And so lit is this sort of idea that she stumbled into this career as a literature professor. Um, she was at one point lit, you know, as we use the term as it relates to being drunk. Yeah. And that ultimately, at the end of it all, she, she found the inner light. She was lit from the inside um, in this return to Catholicism or this turning to Catholicism and to faith. Um, and so for me, that was a really helpful uh, template. I was struggling with my own faith at the time because of my situation. I'd always yeah. been sort of raised in faith. But as I saw her journey, I thought, okay, if an atheist alcoholic poet can become a, a dry Catholic uh, faithful uh, follower of God, yeah. Then surely, you know, <laughs> guy who's been raised in you know Arkansas yeah. around all of the the, the buckle of the Bible Belt with all of the discipleship tools and all the yeah. things that I was raised with, um, surely I can do this. Yeah. You know, if she can do it, I can do it. Yeah. Um, and I think that's the kind of stuff to me that is super helpful. It was super helpful for me, and I think it's super helpful for addicts. And I think it comes from our penchant and our need for stories to drive our narratives instead yeah. of how-tos. Yeah. Have you read uh, Jamie Smith's uh, On the Road with St. Augustine? No, no, but no, I, yeah. no, I want to. I need to. Well, he there's a part where he talks about uh, uh, recovery stories and how they're so repetitive, and they all, mm -hmm. set, they all start to sound alike, and he says, and that's the point. You know, we value originality. Right. Uh, we we think when we're the one telling the story, we value originality. But we're, when we're the yep. one hearing the story, we need to know that that my story is not unique, um, and we need to find our identity um, in a story by finding our place in a story that we didn't write. Yeah, and I, yeah. that sounds like what you're talking about here. Yes, and I think that's true, man. No matter if we're talking about recovery stories or faith stories, it doesn't matter what we're talking. Um, I think, for me, in fact, I was talking to a psychiatrist about this uh, today, an expert in his own field, um, and he was saying, you know, for so long we've been dominated by left-brain how-to mechanisms in the West, uh -huh. and that the, the real need for humans is to make meaning from the right brain, to, to use art and creativity and storytelling yes. and all these things, yeah. and to create a meaning that we can identify with, because mm -hmm. we can't all necessarily identify with go make amends, you know, sit yeah. down and meditate, do this, do that, yada, yada, yada. But we yeah. can sort of all identify with the stories. Yeah, that's great. Um, all right, we are coming to the end of our allotted time. 
So let me ask you the question that I always ask at the end of every interview. Who are the writers who make you want to write, Seth? Oh, man. <laughs> I've, I've named a lot of them. Uh, well, um, I had a feeling you already had, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I think of uh, Mary Carr for sure. I uh-huh. mean, she, her voice is masterful. She has owned her voice. Yeah, she's um, amazing. Yeah. She's amazing. Um, I would say early on, um, you know, probably Tolkien. Uh, mm-hmm. but he had usual characters early on, Tolkien, Lewis. Sure. Um, uh, but as I get older, increasingly, um, those are, those are still, still some of my go-to sources. Yeah. Um, Chesterton for sure. Uh-huh. Um, Mary Carr for sure. Rocky and poetry for sure. Uh, William Stafford and poetry. Um, uh-huh. just amazing poet. Carl Sandburg, just these people that are so able to, um, I think like capture the voice of the people and give us the voice of the people. Yeah. That those are my go-to people. I love Hemingway. The sun also rises is probably one of my favorite novels. Yeah. Um, so it just, I think it's this idea of like being able to give us the stories of the people and the language of the people. These are the, these are the, the writers that I really love. Yeah. Uh, you're an Arkansas boy. Do you read, uh, Charles Portis? No, um, no, I don't, but uh, I've been asked that twice this week. So maybe okay. it's time. It is time. The time is now. <laughs> Yeah, the time is now. It's upon us. That's right. All right. Well, Seth, thank you so much. You've had a a lot of wisdom in this short time. You've you've, uh, had a lot to say, and I really appreciate uh, your honesty, and I appreciate your your insight. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. It's great to be. Great to be with you. The Rabbit Room has partnered with Lipscomb University to make this podcast possible. Lipscomb has graciously given us access to their recording studio in the Center for Entertainment and Arts building. We're so grateful for their sponsorship, their encouragement, and the good work they do in Nashville. Special shout out as well to Jess Ray for letting us use her song Too Good as part of this podcast. Visit JessRayMusic.com to hear more of her beautiful songs. The Habit Membership is a library of resources for writers by me, Jonathan Rogers. More importantly, The Habit is a hub of community where like-minded writers gather to discuss their work and give each other a little more courage. Find out more at thehabit.co. This podcast was produced by The Rabbit Room, where art nourishes community and community nourishes art. All our podcasts are made possible by the generous support of our members. To learn more about us, visit rabbitroom.com and to become a member, rabbitroom.com slash donate.